0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. Up early with me this week, it's Naomi Smith, Chief Executive of Best for Britain. Hello, Naomi. How are you?
1: Good morning. Yeah, I, I think I'm awake. We'll find out.
0: Sounding suspiciously perky there. Uh, you're here to set out what's going to happen in the next seven days. And uh, first up, still falling all around us, is the fallout from the cheshire Amersham by-election. Yeah. Sarah Green from Lib Dems shocked the Conservatives by overturning a 16,000 majority. Um, This has been taken as a kind of warning shot that Johnson's spending too much time on Redwall issues, not enough on Tory Shire issues like planning HS2, as a recovering Lib Dem. (laughs) Uh, what's your take on this what do you think it means
1: okay well first up absolute full disclosure here sarah and i've been friends for i don't know over 15 years since we were student liberal democrats together (laughs) um, and she also worked at best for britain and our sister campaign march for change helping to organize events some of you may have come to some of the rallies we did at the excel center um uh, and in um westminster as well and you know so so Full disclosure, I... I'm a recovering Liberal Democrat, I am no longer a member, but I did want her to win, um, largely because uh, she's a brilliant person and will be an excellent MP, but of course because in that seat the Liberal Democrats were the most likely to take the seat from the Conservatives, just as Kim Ledbetter in Batley and Spen uh, for the Labour Party is most likely uh, to hold that seat uh, from the Conservatives, so I will be heading up there to to campaign for her later this week. Um, Well, look, I mean, I think a few things about all of this. The Liberal Democrats are good at winning by-elections, yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, Their victories are not, we're not unused to those. But often, not always, but often, they don't hold them again come a general election. You might remember in 2019, another Welsh woman, Liberal Democrat, because Sarah is is first language Welsh, um, uh, Jane Dodds, won the Brecon by-election in the summer of 2019. And then, of course, the Conservatives won that seat, Uh, Hmm. in the general election later that year. Sarah Olney is currently the MP for Richmond Park. She took that in a by-election, lost it again, and then won it back. So... um, the Lib Dems don't always hold these seats. So um, what I think this is really significant of is, is this realignment that we know is taking place in British politics that we talked about many times on the uh, podcast before. Um, and remember that Amersham and Chesham voted about 55% remain, so significantly uh, above the national average. And then there were also all of these local factors at play and, and you have touched on them, things like planning, things like uh, HS2. So I think traditional conservative Voters are probably beginning To feel let down by the Conservative Party. I'm sure we'll talk Later in the show about some of the tensions We know are happening within number 10, number 11 over the Tax and spend issues or Vax and spend as they're being referred To. Um... So, so I think that that this 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 victory for the Liberal Democrats is because they ran a good campaign, but against a backdrop of conservative voters feeling, uh, traditional conservative voters that is feeling, okay, is is this the party that that has that, that I've traditionally voted for? Is this the kind of party uh, that aligns to my values? That is much more free market. That is much more pro internationalism. Or is it something that is is resembling more of the traditional vote Leave political identity of being uh, much less laissez-faire on economics, but much more socially conservative on other issues. The only caveat to that I will say is that we need to do a bit more analysis about where votes went. It was a low turnout election, as is so often the case in by-elections, um, but it could have been that a lot of Conservative voters just didn't vote rather than switched to voting for the Liberal Democrats. Certainly the Labour vote got squeezed down to nothing. And I would say an underreported story within this has been the fact that the Green vote held up so strongly by comparison to the Labour vote, which, which did get squeezed. This, the Greens seem to be much more resistant to being squeezed uh, by other parties. So very, very interesting. I think we're still going to begin to get under the bonnets of what really happened there and whether it could be the start of something or whether it is just a reflection of a realignment that we already knew was taking place.
0: Is it a bit rich for um, established uh, old fashioned conservatives to complain the Tory shire issues are being neglected and it's all about levelling up? When well, in fact, we know that all the supposed levelling up money is actually going to Tory towns anyway.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, but you might not feel like that. I suppose if you're mm. not in in one of those those Tory towns in the north, um, the yes, of course it is a bit rich, and we know that the levelling up agenda is stalling, and it is a nonsense. And as usual, it's it's government by rhetoric rather than by actual action. And 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 Johnson's famous, you know, bombast and bluster, and and baffling everyone with his bullshit. And and too many people falling for it. Um, there were significant local factors. I mean, HS2 cannot be underestimated as something that that people in that constituency feel incredibly passionate about. Almost every door I knocked on mentioned it. Several of them mentioned planning and housing. And people are pretty sympathetic for the need for new housing. They just, you know, are typical NIMBYs. They don't want it in their area on their so-called uh, greenfield sites. Um, so, yeah, I think I think... As I said earlier, it's it's probably one that we need to take with a pinch of salt to see whether this would or could be replicated. Now, it may get another test relatively soon if rumours are to be believed that former Prime Minister Theresa May is headed for that top NATO job, meaning that there would be another by-election in Maidenhead, which, of course, is pretty near Amersham and Chesham and, and part of that so-called blue wall.
0: The thought of Theresa May heading NATO with a record of really kind of being able to herd cats brilliantly that we saw during the Brexit years, <laughs> that fills me with terror. I do, just you know, an aspect of this Cheshire and Amersham thing, I feel rather conflicted that there's this, yes, everybody loves it when the can everybody listening to this podcast will love it when the conservatives get one in the eye, but when it's built on the back of you know, of nimbyism and don't build houses on my field, I kind of think, yeah. you know, I'm actually in favour of building houses for people. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, it's so not on our joy.
1: So am I. And, and it is worth pointing out that there was significant tension within the Liberal Democrats over this issue. Uh, at a at a national level, they have a very good policy on home building. They have a very good policy, well, a very pro-HS2 policy. Um, And so when the literature started to go out in the Amersham and Cheshire by-election of, uh, you know, Sarah Green is against these things, um, young activists, in particular within the Liberal Democrats, just hung up their campaigning boots and said, not in my name, not going to help you. uh, And and really some quite furious reaction from within the party on that. Now, of course, the Liberal Democrats have long done this, you know, for for as long as I've ever been a, you know, you know, a, an activist with them or, or supporting any of their stuff at, at the local level. They have been very, you know, anti-building in places that the local residents don't want people to build in and, and all the rest of it. That is now much more pernicious. And, and of course, the Conservatives do it too. Every, every party does it. But it is now much more pernicious when you fast forward 20, 30 years and you've got such the acute housing crisis that we do uh, so I think this one is one that you know may not play out for them particularly well it's going to be a tricky one for them to handle uh, and they're going to have to have some pretty nuanced lines to to defend those positions um, and I agree with you Andrew you know we, we absolutely need to be building far more homes um, but hey do you know what because of Brexit can't get the builders so uh, a lot of that's stalling.
0: Well, you mentioned it earlier. One of the standouts in the weekend's papers was a story in the Sunday Times that Downing Street and the Treasury are at loggerheads over tax and spending. Loads of briefing going on about how Johnson keeps promising things that are not costed. Treasury officials are looking at suspending the pensions triple lock, the ultimate yeah. client policy, the one that's uh, done them huge electoral favours over the decades to pay for this stuff. Apparently, Johnson announced a Marshall Plan for Global Green Growth at the G7 without telling the Treasury. Can you do that? Can you just go, hi, his policy?
1: I mean, I think you can when you are a, an over entitled, you know, jumped up, privileged goon who has had everything he's ever wanted in life. Right? That this is why wouldn't some, you know, nanny, nanny, I want this, bring me it. And nanny brings it, or you know, uh, you know, wife, wife, give me it. whatever it is. He if he wants it, he takes it. He assumes uh, that that he has a, a god given right to things. Um, I think the triple locks. Ox- fascinating so remember this is the higher of average earnings inflation or 2.5 percent a key manifesto commitment at the last election for the conservatives they remain heavily reliant on older voters uh, to deliver them electoral success and of course older voters far more likely to turn out at elections and vote but this year forecast average earnings are set to rise eight percent by July so way higher than inflation or that 2.5% uh, third lock on pensions. So that could land Sunak with a bill of $4 billion. And then we've got social care. Um, and we have got a social care crisis in the UK. Well, in, in England, Wales, well, Scotland, of course, has free social care. Um, and uh, a, a moves to say that, you know, we should have £50,000 per person allocated for social care. And I can tell you, as somebody who has just been through this with an elderly parent, you um, who who became who who went sort of drastically downhill very very quickly and had to be moved into nursing care. I uh, my generation I think in particular have absolutely no concept of how expensive care is, even for very basic nursing care. So that's without any added on dementia or or high levels of nursing. Depending on where you are in the UK, you are looking at probably a minimum of two thousand pounds a week for your parents to be having that care. Now, of course, if you have less than £23,000 worth of savings, then the state does um, make a major contribution to that. But, you know, a lot of people will have £23,000 of of savings within their house um, Mm -hmm. because that baby boomer generation that are now going to be moving into needing more elderly care, of course, will be sat on nice houses that the rest of us can't afford that will be worth that. So that that does cause problems for who's expecting money from when houses get sold to help them get on the housing ladder and all the rest of it. So this is a huge societal issue, but fundamentally it's about how we care for people and how we care for the elderly. Um, So Johnson-Sunak, I think, are beginning to break on those fault lines, as is so often the case. You know, number 10 wants to spend, number 11 says, okay, well, where are you going to find the money from? Um, but I think it's sort of emblematic of this split within the Conservative Party that we're now seeing as a consequence of Amersham. You know, ca- can we continue this Dominic Cummings approach of repivoting the party along uh, the, the, the Remain Leave lines where, you know, Leave voters are now the core constituency for the Conservative Party uh, in delivering them success who like all of this spending? Or do we return back to the more traditional uh, conservative um, laissez-faire economics um, and pursue that? So I think it's interesting because Sunak, of course, had been polling very well. He was very popular. Lots of people considering him to be the natural successor to Boris Johnson. Maybe he's trying to build uh, a coalition within the Conservative Party for that. But of course, he was popular because he was spending so much. And we'd always said all along, let's see how he fares and how popular he is once he has to start implementing taxes, cutting back on expenditure. So I think this is incredibly interesting as to how this is going to play out with the country, not just within the Conservative Party.
0: Well, it seems like the the, the kind of... um, the, the confrontation is probably over over overegging it, but the, the, you know the kind of standoff between Sunak and Johnson has been a long time coming. We feel like we've been waiting for the starting pistol to be fired for a very long time. And the, the Guardian is reporting this morning that the cabinet ministers are going to be warning Johnson he's got to listen to them. Um, you know that that uh, Cheshire ambition has a shot across the bows, um, and that he's going to start paying attention. Do you, do you can can you see anything happening this week in terms of it developing? Do you think it's going to be a simmer?
1: um well there's so there are rebellions brewing on a number of different fronts so uh of course there's the international aid rebellion uh that has has long been mooted. we've got a couple of opposition day debates uh that the uh labor party are bringing forward and they're hoping to get support from Uh, backbench Tories who are fed up. So there is one um, on both the planning applications and a a kind of a non-binding vote that, you know, Tory rebels within the blue wall might signal their opposition to the government on. Um, And then the second opposition debate that Labour have got coming up to try and embarrass the government is going to be on this issue of the steel industry. Yeah. Uh, Toby Helm and The Observer wrote this up over the weekend. Um, the government wants to see uh, the, the protections that the steel industry was afforded as a consequence of being a member of the EU that were rolled over uh, after we left the transition period removed, which of course would uh, expose British steel to much cheaper foreign steel imports. We've just signed a trade deal with Australia. Uh, There'll be other countries uh, that we're hoping to do deals with that will have their own cheap steel. So uh, the likes of Ed Miliband have really kicked off over this and are trying to cause the government huge embarrassment on it. So there are a few potential areas where, where the government could see some embarrassment. You could see these cleavages within the Conservative Party. However, Conservatives are generally better at politics than opposition party MPs and they tend to fall into line at the last minute making a lot of noise in the media en route to it Uh, but they hate nothing more than the opposition um, even if they are all at war with each other internally.
0: Well, you you mentioned Brexit. You said the B word um, this week. The fifth anniversary of the referendum falls. It's on. It's on Wednesday. Uh, I suppose we could expect an awful lot of think pieces and, and retro stuff. Uh, how are you expecting the anniversary to uh, to play a role in the week, or do you think people are going to people going to uh, cover their eyes and cover their ears?
1: Oh, I, I think probably um, largely the latter. Apart from you know those of us uh, on both extremes, um, of course we'll have the express readers and the farajists, uh, you know, whooping and cheering and and hailing, uh, you know, a phony success, um, and then those of us on the Remain side sort of feeling very sorrowful that we are um, uh, outside of the EU, and of course we've got um, the lovely best of Britain projection with thousands and thousands of uh, names. Hopefully, many of our listeners names being projected onto a brussels landmark sending a message of love and hope to our friends and neighbors over the channel to remind them that on this side of the channel there is a flame still being kept alive for them and i think it was led by donkeys who who did the projection a couple of years ago saying this is our star please look after it for us well we are looking after it um i think what may be more of a focus for for a lot of people because if you remember, we are still in this period where the full effects of Brexit still aren't being felt. And this is something we talked about, you know, in the Romaniacs days before, oh God, what now, that it will be an atrophy rather than a cliff edge. So people won't necessarily feel the direct impact of Brexit, because things just atrophy over time. And now we have COVID. Of course, that's that stopped people being able to travel. And that, I think, will be the really key moment for people when they realise that they're in different passport use and they realise that their kid can't go off so easily and, and do you know a, a job in the south of Spain uh, or you know in the club scene in Ibiza or whatever it is that they would ordinarily want to do. I think that's when people will begin to feel uh, sorrowful. But look, it's not going well. We've signed um, a trade deal with Australia that is worth about 0.02%. There is no parliamentary scrutiny happening of it at all. The text of it hasn't been published. We're having to find out from the Australian media uh, what detail is in it. And then we're you know, mooting a, a New Zealand uh, trade deal as well, which is largely being written up even by the right-wing media as having an effect of 0%. You know, it, it, mm. it, it is not going to compensate for the loss of trade that we know is happening with the EU. Now, at Best of Britain, we run the UK Trade and Business Commission that's headed up by a cross-party team of MPs, including Conservatives and DUP. So it's not just a group of Remainers. Uh, there are a huge number of businesses involved in that as well. We've been taking evidence uh, and we are actually going to have an extraordinary session on the Australia trade deal uh, to try and get under the bonus of it. Um, but the, the Commission has been going so well that actually last week in the Telegraph Lord Frost said that he had received the letter from the commissioners with its recommendations particularly for SMEs, the ones that are suffering and on their knees and don't have the balance sheet strength to be uh, manoeuvring around the TCA, that they're suffering both in terms of their imports and their exports Um, and he said he will meet with the commission so the commission is beginning to have real impact and we're very hopeful that we can persuade the government to see sense and to save some British business by making uh, some new negotiations with the Brussels side for that. Um, But I do need money to help fund that. So if you want to give some money to Best for Britain, bestforbritain.org forward slash support, I'd be so grateful because we absolutely need to keep that thing going. It's vital because it is beginning to have an impact and I would hate to have to wind it up because I can't fund it.
0: There are a few bits of uh, Brexit popcorn happening this week. Um, Lord Frost is going to be appearing from the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, for a session on the UK's relationship with the EU. So that should be uh, amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, with uh, Dominic Cummings is promising his more.
1: blogs.
0: Qu- ask me anything. <laughs> ask me anything. Q&A. Only fans. Have you signed up? Have you paid your fiver to, uh, to ask him where he buys his head polish?
1: I, I absolutely have not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think today at 2pm is is when the big one is. Although he has sort of already started answering quite a few people's on Twitter anyway, because he can't help himself. But uh, I it will not surprise you to learn that I have not given Dominic Cummings any money.
0: Mm. Uh, and yet more popcorn. Uh, what does John Burke joining Labour mean? Anything at all?
1: Um, I think it means that he definitely knows he's not going to get a peerage out of this Conservative government, <laughs> uh, and we probably really quite like one, as is you know a precedent for a former speaker. Um, I think the, the where that's going to have most impact is probably going to be within Labour um, and the Labour left, saying, "My God, why are we attracting?" former conservatives this isn't what the socialist party is meant to be about um but yes I, I suspect that will be sort of tomorrow's fish and chip paper really
0: cummings and burko should just get an apartment <laughs> yeah. together and do live youtubes and they're uh, like the sunshine oh, boys or the odd couple typing on the typewriter dominic Cummings is george burns and burko is walter Matthau. anyway um before we uh, wrap up somebody else who got screwed by the Brexit deal is everyone in the dup yep Uh, which is now an object lesson in supping with a long spoon. It's now unclear whether the the DUP is going to get a new leader before Spurs gets a manager.
1: It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh,
0: Yeah. I think Edwin Putz has been seen at White Hart Lane. What is the latest? This guy, Jeffrey Donaldson, is now standing as leader. Who who is he? This is like when they had three popes in one year. (laughs)
1: So it's it's literally been 21 days or something since... uh, Poots took the reins from Arlene Foster as leader of the DUP. Um, mm-hmm. a, a, look, a few things happened. First of all, the voting was changed so that the electorate was not the members of the DUP, but was just the elected uh, members of the DUP so that that will have you know put a lot of noses out of joint Will have meant that he found it quite difficult to kind of own the narrative within the party so with closing nominations tomorrow um, everyone's expecting it will only be Jeffrey Donaldson that throws his hat into the ring but he can't be first minister because he is not a member of the assembly he is an MP so if he wins, if he is uncontested and wins, then you've got this <laughs> horrendously tricky situation within the DUP that I can't help but laugh about, where one of the MLAs will have to give him their seat. Um, so there's some talk that that would be Arlene Foster, that she's done now, she would give him Fermanagh and South Tyrone. But then, of course, that forces a parliamentary, Westminster parliamentary by-election in Lagan Valley, which is Je- Jeffrey Donaldson's seat, which could easily be lost to the Alliance Party, um, <laughs> because uh, they have made huge gains in that seat over the last couple of elections. I mean, that's the real popcorn moment. Sit back and enjoy that, because you know, uh, who cares?
0: <laughs> oh, poor, poor old Poots. I mean, like twenty-one days. It makes Henry Bolton's five months leading UKIP look like poll oh, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. But well, it's sort of
0: outside of outside of that, uh, that 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 particular chessboard will this affect stability in northern ireland do you think and have you got your sir jeffrey Donaldson impersonation ready now that you can't do arlene anymore
1: oh i haven't actually i mean i've mm. not really done impersonations of men too much over my imitations career so i'll have to i'll have to practice um uh you look as as we always say on this show it is a frozen not a resolved conflict in northern ireland we've seen over the last year how febrile tensions are there how easily they can spill over it certainly won't help but i don't know that it will necessarily uh be the the kind of the touch you know lighting of the touch paper what we have got is the marching season getting underway soon we've got the 12th of july happening <clears throat> within the next few weeks uh, which is always a kind of you know crescendo moment mm. in in northern irish you know calendar of events throughout the year uh for anyone that wants to agitate and make trouble but but what remains um very very difficult of course is the fact that um Brexit is not working at all for Northern Ireland, that Northern Ireland didn't vote for it. Um, and it'll be very, you know, uh, interesting to see whether whether Lord Frost um, uh, is able to do something on the Northern Ireland protocol to, to help them out. Now, what I would also add, another interesting kind of um, plot twist is... Uh, that there are rumours that the government is thinking of, um, in terms of Scotland, allowing Scots in the rest of the UK to vote in any kind of Scottish referendum, which is obscene. I mean, absolutely obscene. That's crazy. That is absolutely- How do you prove you're yeah. Scottish? Well, indeed, a, a how do you prove you're, you're Scottish? But you know, just democratically, it, it, you know, not not what these things are about, um, but be incredibly interesting in Northern Ireland because you have a huge number of Ulster Scots who will claim mm-hmm. Scots heritage, who of course are incredibly pro-union. I mean, they're the most pro-union people of anyone you'll ever meet. So, I mean, goodness knows what 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 impact that could have. Um, so it's it's a it's a shit show as usual constitutional crisis in the UK rumbles on
0: that's amazing I, I, if, if that plays as I could end up voting in Scotland Ireland Wales and England and the national election if I trace my ancestry back far <laughs> enough I'll have no time to do anything else I don't vote, vote. often Andrew Vote early, vote 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 eternally. Finally, and I know you'll be really excited about this, Naomi, because you're all about football. Uh, Tuesday night, England play the Czech Republic, Scotland play Croatia, both at the same time. This can this can determine national moods. Um, generally, you know, f- finger in the air. Uh, Scotland are feeling pretty good about themselves. England feeling pretty disappointed about about the last game. From as an, from an outsider's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I 'm asking you to pronounce here from a position of your own deep expertise here um, do you think if, if if Scotland outperform and England underperform, what does this mean in the world of politics? Basically Nicola Sturgeon's going to say everything's great for Scottish independence whatever happens isn't she?
1: yeah 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 but you know this is this is why politics should never be undertaken in really important politics should never be undertaken during international. Sporting tournaments, and it just reminds me of why David Cameron was such a dick to call the referendum during the 2016 uh, Euros. You know, it's a time when nationalist sentiment is always at its kind of you know peak, um, and. it will will you know have an impact on on any political questions you ask people at that time um yeah i mean look i'm i'm incredibly sympathetic towards um scotland and, and scottish independence but i am a unionist i don't want scotland to leave the uk um and so yeah i i, I guess you know a win for scotland would probably um do quite a lot to, to boost the, the nationalist cause in Scotland, I would imagine. Well, or certainly empower those voices for, for a little while anyway.
0: Well, we will know by the end of Tuesday. Um, Naomi, thanks for getting up early and joining me for Start Your Week.
1: Thanks very much. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with the panel show, as usual. Uh, As you know, it's uh, The Bunker Monday to Thursday with a weekend show as well. Uh, You can back us on Patreon to support our valuable work. Just search The Bunker Podcast Patreon to get the shows early without adverts, exciting merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily is produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. Assistant producers are Jacob Archbold and Jelena Sofranavich. An audio production is from me, Robin Lieber. The Bunker's theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.